Hello and welcome to episode 743 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, September 30th, and the regular season is over. And I'm your host, Paul Spore. I'm not going to cry. I'm not. But it is over, and it is very depressing. Uh, We no longer have the the everyday grind of baseball. The playoffs are about to start, and I'm actually really, really, really excited about the playoff. I do think it's kind of a wide-open playoff. Uh, I understand why the favorites are the favorites, Houston, the Dodgers, Yankees. But um, I think everybody's beatable. I I, I think you you can craft a scenario where every team could win it all. And, and it would make sense. It, does, it doesn't require all these, you know, 10, 12, 15 ifs. If this, if this, if this, if this. You know, there's a, there's a few for every team. There are fewer for the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, maybe even like the Braves. But I think even the wildcard teams, whoever wins the wildcard game, could thwart the Astros or Dodgers. But anyway, that's uh, that's for the playoffs. We're going to put a little bit of a bow on the regular season here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the player raider on Razball at each position, talk a little bit about the position, and move on uh, to the next one here. Just kind of cover, you know, one through whatever uh, of where they finished, highlight some of the surprises, some of the, you know, talk about some of the guys that maybe were disappointments. And I say one through whatever because it's going to be different by position. And, of course, if you've listened before, you know this. But if not, I use the Rasball Player Raider over our auction calculator on the pod specifically because they number the rows and it's much more convenient for potting. Um, you know, on the auction calculator, I pull something up and then, you know, I have to kind of eyeball, oh, he's, he's the eighth, or I have to count. Uh, on, on the Rasball Player Raider, I just say, hey, boom, JT Romuto, number one catcher. And it's, and it's right there. And um, yeah, it's just it's just for an ease situation. The the two aren't that different. I, th- I think if you if you run through the auction calculator versus the player rate, you're not going to see vast differences in in how they rank things. So I don't think it's going to be problematic from that end. But let's get into it at catcher, and we're going to talk about the top fifteen here. We talk a lot about fifteen team leagues. Uh, I think that's a depth that kind of covers a lot of uh, a lot of people's leagues. And not only that, but um, you know, it is the NFPC main event setup, which is a, a format that we really like here. Now, a lot of leagues are two catcher, including those leagues. I'm not going to do 30 catchers, though. First off, I'm not trying to bore you all to tears right off the top. Secondly, I just don't want to talk about 30 catchers. So we're going to talk about the top 15 here. I'll just run them down, and then we'll get into some specifics. At one is JT Romuto, two, Yasmani Grandal, three, Mitch Garver, four, Christian Vasquez, Five, Gary Sanchez. Six, Wilson Contreras. Seven, James McCann. Eight, Omar Narvaez. Nine, Wilson Ramos. Ten, Travis Darno. Eleven, Jorge Alfaro. Twelve, Roberto Perez. Thirteen, Yadi Molina. Fourteen, Robinson Chirinos. And fifteen, Kurt Suzuki. I want to start that right quick at the bottom there. Kurt Suzuki, again, putting up a fantasy viable season in most leagues, not, uh, you know, if you're 10 team, 12 team, one catcher, okay. He might've had some bouts of usefulness, but the, the majority of leagues use two catchers. And if, even if you're a 10 team using two, that's 20. So he's right there. 17 homers, 63 runs as, as a part timer. Again, Kurt Suzuki, man, ages 33 to 35. He's been incredible. He's been one of the best catchers out there. 
you add those three seasons up, it's 1,006 plate appearances of a 272, 335, 485 with 48 homers. So he's averaging 16 a year. Really impressive stuff out of Kurt Suzuki. Um, but going back to the top real quick. So the consensus top four, or five, we'll go five, uh, generally in some order, but more or less this order, was uh, JT Romuto, Gary Sanchez, Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Contreras, and Wilson Ramos. And those guys panned out. I mean, they were all in the top nine. None of those could you really say did you in or, or didn't deliver. They might have felt fallen short of what you penciled in when you were when you were figuring out your projections and all that, but that's a different scenario versus did they did they bust? Did they hurt you? No. If you paid for the catcher out front, and those were the four that you had to pay for, everybody else, it dropped down a level to Molina and Posey, who I was definitely passing on, and then after that, it was a free-for-all. But those five panned out. And and even Molina, you know, he was 13th and he was going sixth. Eh, that's not great. But then uh, Posey was was a bust. The weird thing about catchers, we knew coming in that it was those top five or bust. And yet, it didn't necessarily play out that way because a lot of catcher depth emerged in season. But it was from avenues that we could have never expected. I mean, Mitch Garver finishing third. Listen. He showed a little bit with the bat last year, and I'm sure some of you out there were believers, and you got him, and that's awesome, and your two-catcher league or your AL only that you were in. I, I, I can believe that. I can believe that there were some folks who were actually in on Mitch Garver early. They didn't really need to see the, the, the fast breakout to jump in. He had seven homers and a 104 OPS plus last year as a part-timer, and you might have said, hey, that's a little something at catcher. I'll take it. Um he hit the ground running Garver did in in April, and it was clear from that point that he needed to be on a roster. Five homers, 10 ribbies, 348, 400, 761 on his slash line. From that point on, you're like, I got to get him. And then he had another big, he had a big month in May. And even as a part-timer sharing with Castro and as the deal even mixing in here and there, he was worth it. Garver was worth it. The craziest thing about his season, 31 homers, is that it came in 359 plate appearances. He never really fully took over the catching duties. Um, he started to gain more timeshare in the second half of the season, but he doesn't have a 20-game month. And that's in, that's impressive that he was able to do all that in such a concentrated amount of time for Mitch Garver. Just an absolutely brilliant season. And, um, you know, he might have finished number one with more volume, but he only had 67 ribbies and 70 runs because of the 359 plate appearances. But he was brilliant. Christian Vasquez was somebody that, you know, I don't know how you could have seen that coming. Even if you had a little love for him back in 2017 coming and then coming into 18, he was such a flop in 18 that I don't know how you would have bought back in early. Um just to give you an idea, he went from Christian Vasquez went from a 10, or excuse me, a 92 WRC plus with with a 290 average in 2017. So the average was holding him up. The 92 WRC plus is not that special, but seven steals too. So he was kind of giving you some different things at catcher, a few steals and some batting average on a quality team. So he was uh, his runs and ribbies weren't too bad for being at the bottom of the lineup on a good team. But then, a to- like I said, a total flop last year. 42 WRC+. plus. He cut 50 points off. He hit just 207, three homers, four steals. 
So coming into this year, no way, no way you were in on him. Maybe, 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 maybe 12-team AL only, where it's so deep, you're just like, give me a catcher on a good team who's going to play, and I'll just try to get what I can get out of the volume. And um, he didn't do anything in April. Vasquez hit 222 with four homers. Nobody was picking him up then. And then you might have even been a little bit cautious in May. He hit 373 with three homers, but were you even buying in on that? By the time it, by the time you maybe looked at him to pick him up, you probably were thinking, "Well, this hot streak's going to end as far as the batting average goes." But if you if you hung around from that point on, we'll call it we'll call it we'll call it mid May and on. Let's say you kind of got in because by May 17th he was hitting 311. Let's say after that three-hit game against Houston, you're like, listen, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take a shot here. I need a catcher. My Buster Posey's not working out. You know, Danny Jansen, sorry, I hyped him. He was worthless. Uh, you're saying, I got to cut somebody. I'm going to go ahead and go with Vasquez here. If you jumped on him from that point on, from mid-May on, 266, 18 homers, 57 ribbies, 50 runs, and three steals in 405 plate appearances, that's pretty good from Vasquez. So he was the number four guy. Sanchez, Contreras, they did you know what they were supposed to. They were they were strong catching assets. Contreras could have had a brilliant year if he hadn't been derailed by injury. It still was a really strong season. James McCann was one we've talked about multiple times on the pod. I wrote about him. It was so it was so fraudulent. You were just waiting, 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 waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it eventually did because it was a batting average, uh, you know, a BABIP-fueled run that, that kind of had him out of his mind. And I wonder when people picked him up. If, if you picked him up, did you jump in early in like late April when he was putting multi-hit games together? Or were you like, nah, 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 that's BS, that's BS. But then he puts up three more multi-hit games in his first five of May and then did you buy in then or did you buy in after the four hit game at Toronto on May 11th and you're really like okay he's in 376 this is stupid I just I just need to get in here let's say you bought in then that didn't go well for you now at least not from the batting average standpoint, which is probably what you were hoping to get from McCann because his average was so strong. Even acknowledging that the OVP, or excuse me, that the BABIP was off the charts, I'm sure some folks were like, well, you know, can he hit 260 for me the rest of the way? Can he hit 275? If you bought in on, and these are arbitrary, right? I'm just trying to guess of when people would have realistically bought in. But if you bought in after the four hit game at Toronto for James McCann, you got a 249 the rest of the year. But you did get 14 homers, 49 ribbies, 47 runs. That paces out to 24, 84, 81, respectively, which is damn good at catcher over a full season. So he was not killing you, even if you bought in there and didn't get the batting average. But he ended up finishing seventh. We all knew that it was going to fall off, though. That's the thing. There was no doubt that McCann could not hold the batting average. Uh, let's go to Omar Narvaez because he is somebody who you might have bought in early on, probably even at the draft for some of you folks in, in two catcher leagues. I, I can fully, fully believe that because he put up a decent little uh, decent little season last year. UOBP folks were definitely keyed in on, on Narvaez last year, but let's just go standard five by five. He hit 275 with a 122 OPS plus, or excuse me, WRC plus last year, including nine homers. 
So that's a little something, and you're probably like, okay, I can get him as my C2. I think he was a popular C2 pick. Narvaez was the 19th catcher off the board at pick 303. That's that's prime C2 uh, range there. Maybe you got maybe you got one of the big dogs early. Uh, so that, that was a top 150 pick that you had to spend to get Real Muto, Sanchez, Grandal, Contreras, Ramos. Uh, top 50 if you're talking Real Muto or Sanchez. And then between 125 and 145 for Grandal, Contreras, Ramos. But then you were going to wait, right? If you were going to get the big dog, you're definitely waiting at that point. And pick 300, 300 something to get Narvaez is not too bad. That's waiting perfectly fine. And I think he really keyed in on uh, on taking advantage of the ball. Because his game didn't really change except for one thing. He lifted the ball more. Narvaez jumped from a 29% to a 41% fly ball rate. Everything else was pretty static. A little bit of the pull percentage jumped from 35 to 39. That's, that's not a super consequential move. It's really the fly ball rate. So he jumped up a bit. Maybe he saw the ball was flying. He's like, hey, I can get in on this, dude. I can I can do a little something here. He's a left-hander, so he was getting on the strong side of the platoon, and it really panned out. He crushed righties. His full season numbers: two seventy-eight, twenty-two, fifty-five, sixty-three. That's uh, ribbies and runs, fifty-five and sixty-three. Um, against righties, two eighty-nine with twenty, forty-five, and fifty-three. So he was really doing the damage against righties for Omar Narvaez. He hit the ground running, big April. So even if you didn't draft him, if he was still available, I could see people buying in pretty quickly because you could look back and say, oh, he was actually pretty good last year. I could even see one catcher leagues. Again, I'll, I'll use the name Danny Jansen, somebody that I hyped and I was in on as the eighth catcher off the board. Maybe like a Wellington Castillo, um, Jan Gomes, Mike Zanino. These are guys you were cutting early. Let's say you jumped in late April. On, on Narvaez after after two homers in two games, April 18th and 19th. He's like, oh, dude, he hit two more homers. That's five for the month. Let me get in on this. And uh, let's just say you kind of had him from that point on. 273, 350, 445 with 17 homers, 43 ribbies, and 47 runs. That's a damn fine season. Even if you got in late and missed five of the homers, Narvaez still paid off the waiver pickups quite well. Uh, and he was the ninth catcher uh, this year. Nine for Wilson Ramos. Not going to do too much on him because uh, you know we had expectations and he panned out. Travis Darno was was interesting because he finished tenth. I feel like he was he was a guy of flourishes, so he might not have benefited the waiver pickup folks quite as much because if you kind of miss the the giant runs, did you really get anything? Now he was a a nothing burger. For the first two months of the season, you weren't even considering uh, Darno in any capacity whatsoever. He started with the Mets, did nothing, got rid of. They got rid of him in April. He was on the Dodgers for literally a game, a, a one at bat, gone. Dodgers sent him over to Tampa Bay. He didn't really do anything for them for the rest of May. Uh, he kind of languished over there. He had let's see, 14 games, 175, 244, 225, nothing, 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 nothing. Hits the ground running in June, but he's not playing consistently. So while he did have hits in his first four games of the month, they were kind of spread out, but three were multi-hit games, including three homers. So let's say that's when you jumped in, okay? He opens the month going uh, seven for 14, 
with three homers. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try to catch lightning in a bottle here and see if I can get anything. That would have been the time because you could still, you still would have gotten the electric July, which I'll isolate here in a moment. But just from July 12th on, or June 12th, excuse me, June 12th, after four great games to open the month, let's just say you said, you know what, Darno was a prospect. I need catcher. Catcher sucks. I'm going to throw him as my C2. You got a 264, 323, 454 with 13 homers, 56 ribbies, and 41 runs. Now, the full season pace of that is 29, 123, and 90. That's why I like to do the full season pace because it helps you understand better what a guy's doing if, if you know, 13, 56, and 41 and 303 plate appearances doesn't necessarily register what it would be over a full season. Although that one's kind of easy because usually a full season is about 600 plate appearances, so you could have just doubled those numbers. But the bottom line is that was fine if you picked him up there. I do wonder how many people, like, middled it perfectly where they picked him up and held on to Darno through July and maybe into a little bit of, of April, or excuse me, August, sick month uh, reading, Paul, um, and then kind of jumped off and, and parlayed that into maybe like a Will Smith uh, because he really did flop after after a while. So July is when Darno went absolutely bananas. 342 batting average, eight homers, 25 ribbies, 18 runs in 87 plate appearances. The full season paces are stupid. 65, 203, 146. Like he was out of his mind. And that's only in 20 games. From that point on, from August 1st on, Darno, 242, 325, and 16. So, I mean, that's a still a full season pace of 1299 with the homers and ribbies with a 242 average. That's, that's actually not a bad C2. But if you were playing it, and decided, you know, you weren't tied to Darno. You you took the greatness from him and cut him. You could have really played your catcher position quite well uh, if you jumped off at some point in uh, in in mid to late August. But anyway, he finished tenth. Nice little season out of him. I don't know what to think of him for next year. Like the other breakouts, so Vasquez uh, Garver, I'm in on. Vasquez, I'm tepid on. I could still see him as a C2. If he goes higher than like the 13th, 14th catcher, I'm not buying it. James McCann, fully out. Narvaez, I'm still in. Darno, I'm a little bit torn because I think he's actually going to be a free agent. I think he's finally accumulated enough playing time. Do they bring him back in Tampa Bay but keep him, you know, platooning? He, he crushes lefties, and I think that's where he's best to be managed uh, for the season. He had an 886 OPS against lefties with 10 of his 16 homers and a 658 OPS against righties. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really in on it. I, I certainly wouldn't hold, keep him or, or be looking to really buy him. We'll see where he lands and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, 11 through 15 are Jorge. These are all surprises except for Yachty. Jorge Alfaro, Roberto Perez, Yachty Molina, Robinson Chirinos and Kurt Suzuki. That's where it gave you some depth, and and these guys were all available on the waiver wire at some point during the season, without a doubt. Alfaro is somebody that I'm impressed by, that he was still able to manage being a top 11 guy, because I actually had some love for him when I thought he was going to be on Philly, then they got JT Romuto, and I really backed off. Not only because he was going to Miami and they suck as a team, but because the park, and I was like, oh man, that's going to rob his ability to maybe get some power going. Um, 
I was already a little bit suspect that he was going to maintain his big BABIP. If you don't know about Jorge Alfaro, you're going to be shocked to learn about his like plate profile and BABIP combination because it's pretty it's pretty surprising. So last year, the reason I had some hype, first off, a prospect of note throughout his uh, minor league career, comes up, hits 262 with 10 homers, 37 ribbies, uh, 35 runs, three steals. Not bad. A little something, something as a C2 for Jorge Alfaro. I'm like, well, maybe he can break out. They got Harper. You know, he'll be at the bottom of a solid lineup. Well, then they trade for Ramuto, and I'm like, nope, I'm out. Plus, I was already a little bit suspect that the batting average could crater because 262 is not even that great. And he needed a 406 BABIP to get that for Jorge Alfaro because he strikes out 37% of the time and only walks 5%. A disastrous plate approach, but he's actually quite fast for a catcher. And so that saves him and helps him with his with his Babbitt. So again, I was out. I, I moved away. I said, you know, it's just not going to be something I want to get into. I'll, I'll look for other C2s and, and kind of go that route. Uh, Alfaro's off my board now. Well, it turns out he was actually able to maintain pretty much all of that. He struck out a little bit less, down to 33%, but still only walked 5%. Hit 262 on the button again with a 364 Babbitt. But the reason he was number 11 is because his homer to fly ball jumped up, despite the fact that his fly ball rate went down. But his homer to fly ball went from 17 to 25%, fueled an eight homer gain from 10 to 18, 57 ribbies, 44 runs, four steals. Granted, it was on eight attempts, but most leagues don't, don't care about caught stealing. So give me the four chip in steals and bada bing, Jorge Alfaro's number 11 at age 26. I really would love to see him cut the strikeout rate, though. Because I just, I still, even with the fact that he's one of the faster catchers and he now has a career 385 BABIP in 973 plate appearances, I'm still suspect on it. Now, part of it is that he keeps the ball on the ground a lot and the speed. That combination has worked very well for 420, 406, and 364 BABIPs in his three seasons of 114, 377, and 465 point appearances for Jorge Alfaro. He'll be 27 next year. That team can't be any worse, can they? But they're still not going to be that good. So I don't know. If he's a cheap C2, sure. That, then that's something I'd be interested in. But if, if his price goes up or people really start to get some buzz on Jorge Alfaro, then I don't think it's going to be something that I'm all that interested in. In fact, he's the 12th catcher off the board in the two early mocks. By the way, Vasquez was 11th, so I'm not really paying for him either. Some of the guys going after, uh, Willens, Astadio, Sal Perez coming back from injury, uh, Sean Murphy going at 442 on average, Tom Murphy, fake player at 514. Actually, hang on. These are invalid. These are one-catcher leagues. So it's invalid for what I'm talking about as C2. So sorry about that. I totally forgot that we can't really use the two early mocks for anything two-catcher related. Uh, We can use it for one catcher, but not for two-catcher. By the way, I'm realizing here that I'm spending 25 minutes here on catcher, meaning I can't do every position today. don't, Don't you love when I do that? I've done that before where I have this very ambitious outline out front and then i'm like this would be a nine hour podcast you moron you're not going to be able to do the whole thing so maybe we'll do catcher first and second today short third outfield and then pitching starting in relief 
together um, on another pod. Roberto Perez. I'd be remiss if I did not give him his own little section here to discuss because this is a guy who, again, will do the little game of, of when, when would people realistically have picked him up and what could they have gotten here? Assuming, you know, he had to put something on the board to even draw interest. Was he good after that? So Roberto Perez is even worse than Vasquez from the standpoint of could have never been on your radar. At least Vasquez had a good 2017 from like a C2 standpoint that could have generated some interest. Perez really hasn't been good since 2015. And even that was a little blip of like AL only C2 goodness where he put up a 107 WRC plus and seven homers. Since then, his WRC plus totals are 55, 73, 40, 98, set hut. Uh, the 98, of course, is this year. 55, 73, and 40 coming into this year. Like he is so far off the list of consideration, you can't even fathom it. Even with a full-time, you know, even with the, the strong side of, a, uh, of any sort of catching split in Cleveland. Let me see where he was drafted, if he was drafted. So the main event. They run 450 picks deep here, y'all. Nobody drafted him. One person even drafted Kevin Ploiecki, his assumed backup. Eight people drafted Nick Hundley. One person drafted Max Stassi. Hell, one even drafted Travis Darno. I doubt they kept him long enough to get any of that goodness. Uh, let me let me go to the draft champions leagues because those are even deeper, and see if anybody was drafting Roberto Perez in those. Probably not many, if any. So just to give you some perspective here, seventy-one draft champions leagues happened from March first on, and these are fifty-round draft and holds. And okay, a lot more did actually draft Roberto Perez, sixty-one of them, but it was at pick six forty-seven. It was like, I need somebody who's breathing on a major league team here. So that tells you where, where we're at with him, uh, with Roberto Perez. Going into his age 30 season, he had 21 homers and 99 ribbies in 963 plate appearances. So, of course, he hit 24 homers this year in 449. Of course. Why the freak wouldn't he? <laughs> Absolutely insane. By the way, if you add up, add, which doesn't, you know, it's not something you would normally do, but just to stress the point, if you add his last three seasons of homer to fly ball rate, you get 31% if you just smush them all together. This year, 28%. And it fueled a 239, 321, 452 slash line with the 24 homers, 63 ribbies, 46 runs, and thus the 12th catcher in fantasy leagues. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Now let's look at some monthly breakdown on Roberto Perez. Now, he did not come out of the gate flying at all. Two homers, 213 average. Nope, nobody's paying attention then. May, five homers, but a 217 average. I doubt people are, are paying attention then, to be honest, too. I really think he's still languishing there. Maybe some of you AL-only folks were like, again, I need somebody who's breathing, I guess, because he's actually shown a little bit of punch. 
Here's where I'm going to say he 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 could have realistically been picked up. But by this point, you're going to have missed a lot of the homers. So from June 4th through June 8th, he hit four homers in a row. And just what's what happens then? June 9th happens to be a Sunday. And I bet he was picked up a lot during that time period um, going into June 10th and beyond. So that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna do the arbitrary endpoints for him. In fact, I can actually get data on this. Let's look at league transactions for main events. For my main event, I guess. Can I do all main events? I thought you could. Hang on. Player movement, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Bear with me here. I'm gonna go back to that time period. That June 9th, my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. And I'll just do all game styles right now. And I bet... Actually, let me do main event first because that's that's two catchers. How much was Roberto Perez picked up? 16 pickups. And um, eyeballing it, that's like the 12th highest total. That was when uh, Travis Darnot actually had 17 pickups. Pedro Severino had 18. People were looking for catchers that week. Chance Cisco had 28. Wow. Uh, let me see the week before that, how many people picked up Roberto Perez, if any. Six. And these are all in, this is main events uh, across the entire main event. The week before that, nine. So he was starting to trickle up. People were starting to pick him up, but then there was that big flourish, 10 the week before that. So some people were getting in on it a little bit earlier and actually got the four homer flourish there. But I think the majority, the biggest blip, uh, the biggest jump would have been after those four homers in a row that, uh, let me see how many that gave him on the season. So through June 9th, which is the Sunday that you would have picked him up, Roberto Perez had 11 homers with a 232 average, 11. So you already know you, you only got 13 the rest of the year, but let's see what you actually got all told. So if you picked him up then and wrote it out, you got a 243 average, 13 homers, 38 ribbies, 29 runs. Full season pace of 29, 85, and 65. That's pretty good. And a 243 average isn't that bad either. That actually isn't so bad, even if you miss the first 11 homers, including that nice four homers and four game flourish for Roberto Perez. That's not too shabby. That said, I don't really buy him going forward. The only thing that changed is that homer to fly ball rate. So he is a product of the ball, plain and simple. He could be again next year. But I just don't care. This accentuates my point here. In the two early mocks, again, only one catcher. But he wasn't drafted. Nobody wanted him as their as their lone catcher. Some people even drafted a backup catcher. Still didn't want Roberto Perez. People just aren't seeing it, man. And I, I don't really blame them. This is a, a 30-year-old with a 24-homer blip. Congrats. It's cool. It's nice. This is We see this from, from journeyman catchers at times. It's wild, but it's not real. It's just not real. And then Trinos has done some stuff in the past. He finished 14th and then uh, Suzuki 15th. So that's going to that's gonna wrap up catcher. And um, we'll move on to first base here. 
All right, let's talk some first base now. And we're going to do a top 20 for first base. And I might actually touch on a few others just outside that top 20 uh, as we're going along here. But uh, let's just run it down and then we'll, we'll kind of go player by player and talk about a few uh, of, the, of the more interesting ones. Starting at the top, Cody Bellinger, number one, Freddie Freeman, two. Uh, three, Pete Alonso. Four, DJ LeMayhew. Yes, he qualifies. Five, Trey Mancini. Six, Carlos Santana. Seven, Jose Abreu. Eight, Josh Bell. Nine, Yuli Gurriel. Ten, Max Muncy. Eleven, Anthony Rizzo. Twelve, Paul Goldschmidt. Thirteen, Matt Olson. Fourteen, Christian Walker. Fifteen, Hunter Dozier. Sixteen, Edwin Encarnacion. Seventeen, Jock Peterson. Eighteen, Eric Hosmer. Nineteen, Reynaldo Nunez. And twenty, Reese Hoskins. And then just, you know what? I think I'm going to go to 25 here. Let me just write these down and give them to you because I think there are some interesting ones. 21 is Ryan McMahon. 22 is Mark Canha. 23 is Howie Kendrick. Really sharp uh, deep league fill-in for sure. 24, Albert Pujols. Wow, that's a bit of a surprise. And 25 is Eric Thames. Um yeah, so that's the group that we're looking at there. Some of the guys who didn't make the top 25 of note before we dive in. Uh, 28, Luke Voigt. I think that's really just a timing situation, uh, a volume piece, because he, I mean, he was great when he played, but only 510 plate appearances left him a little short at a deep position. 31, Daniel Murphy was expected to be awesome in Colorado. He was decidedly not awesome. 33, Joey Votto. 36, Joey Gallo, of course, just cut short by injury. Um, 44 and 45, Miguel Cabrera, Matt Carpenter, respectively. Yikes. And that's really it that I wanted to at least highlight there. So let's, let's get into these top 25 here. And Eric Thames was somebody who, you know, he took a job, um, and ran with it in 17, lost it in 18, and kind of took it back in in 19 took it back from jesus aguilar who you notice i didn't mention there even even highlighting some of the guys who just missed i think he was even deeper than the the 45 of carpenter there as far as scrolling down and trying to find him um but thames you know was perfectly solid and i think became kind of a summer pickup of of import crushed righties couldn't hit lefties you know kind of your standard strong side platoon guy actually started off really strong in april fell way back in may and then huge june back down in july and then strong august and september for eric thames so perfectly cromulent first base outfield fill in there for folks uh always a fan of his love his moonshots albert pujols being a top 25 guy means that there was probably some corner viability and utility viability in deeper leagues i mean you know 24th first baseman obviously he's not starting anywhere but if you're doing a 15 teamer you need 15 first baseman obviously handful of them are going to be corner some of the guys that are here at first base would actually be in outfield so he might have been closer to like a top 20 as far as those used regularly at first base I'll let you if you don't know. Obviously, if you do know, who cares? You get you're not you're not turning this in. But I'll I'll give you a brief moment here to guess in your head how many homers and ribbies Pools had this year. Five hundred and forty-five plate appearances. I'll give you that. How many home runs and ribbies? Ready? 
23 and 93 respectively. That's pretty good. 244 average, you know, that's not good. 305 OBP, not good. But 2393 on the counting, that's not bad, man. I mentioned Luke Voigt earlier, who only finished 28th and did have a good season, but only 21 and 62 because he only had 510 point appearances. But that's only 35 fewer than Pools. And he out homered him and easily out ribbied him. Not bad. Not bad for uh, for Prince Albert. Well done there at age 39. Continues to grind it out and climb up those leaderboards and and be relatively capable um, as far as, you know, AL only. I'm sure some of you got some real nice value out of him, uh, Albert Pujols. Let's talk about Howie Kendrick. I mentioned deeply God this year because he comes in with eligibility. Uh, let's see. Coming into the season, he would have had just second base, actually, but then added it, added first base. And probably third base in season for a lot of leagues. He played 15 games there. So you're talking about triple eligible in a lot of formats for Howie Kendrick. And so you're slotting him around in the 35-year-old. Went 344, 395, 572 with 17 homers, 62 ribbies, and 62 runs in just 370 plate appearances. Like I said, deeply gold moving him around your NL-only lineup or your super deep mixers. I know some of you crazies are playing in 20-team mixers and whatnot. A guy like that, like Howie Kendrick, can really do some nice things for you there. Mark Canha is one of the bigger breakouts that's probably not getting talked about enough for what he was able to do this year. Really interesting season and became somebody that they could rely on as injuries kind of hit the team. You know, Ramon Laureano was somebody I loved coming into the year, and I'm happy with how he performed, but he got hurt kind of in the middle of his big hot streak. The fact that they were able to stick Canha out there in center and not really miss a beat, at least production-wise, is impressive. I don't think Canha's defense is that good. Uh, let me see here. Let me see if I can find a little something. Do we have anything here? Uh... Sorry, I'm just looking here. I'm seeing some minuses. I, I don't. I don't think it's that good. I. You know what? Let me go to his. Let me go to his Savant page. Check his outs above average. I'm gonna take a drink while I pull that up. Pardon me on that. I'm just gonna leave this bottle open so I'm not clanking it for the rest of the show here. Let's go. Statcast, fielding, outs above average. Where are ya? Um, looks like he had one, so he's about or two, two about average there. So not not terrible. And the weird thing about Loriano is he has amazing standout plays, but misses a lot of basic stuff. He had kind of a weird season defensively, but Canha offensively was great. Two seventy three, three ninety six. That's amazing. And five seventeen on the batting average OBP slug. Twenty six homers, fifty eight ribbies, eighty runs. Fifty eight ribbies is kind of surprising there. I think part of that is is part-time playing, maybe the batting position that he held. He did, did still score 80 runs because he was on base so often. I don't know on the ribbies, actually. He batted 4th, 5th, and 4th and 5th predominantly. 188 and 156 plate appearances there, respectively, and still only came with 58 ribbies. That's not, that, that's not good. That's kind of shocking. Um, at least he scored a bunch, 80 runs. Let's do full season pace real quick here. 
it would have been 75 and 103 respectively for the ribbies and runs. So you like the over 100 runs, but only 75 ribbies. That's weird. Were maybe guys clearing the bases ahead of him, or does he just not cash in his opportunities uh, for Mark Canha? That's that's kind of it's kind of interesting. But all in all, you have to love what he was able to do. Outfielder first base, finished 22nd there at out, uh, at first base. Definitely useful in a lot of mixed league formats there, especially once he really solidified himself into the lineup which uh, sort of came around May, and then from May on, he was playing all the time. In fact, June was still a little bit wobbly on the playing time, but then July on, he was locked. Uh, the last three months of the season, he was locked and loaded there as a full-timer. Uh, Ryan McMahon. McMahon and Garrett Hampson, right? Big talk coming into this season, particularly from your boy. I was, I was loving both. I was love, love, loving Hampson. I will not run away from that. I was loving him, and it failed miserably. And uh, but I did like McMahon too, and they were actually battling for second base. I just I was hoping they could both get a role. I, it was kind of like the Woodruff Burns thing, and I loved Woodruff. But if Burns had won the role, I would have jumped in on on Burns. Hampson McMahon, I loved Hampson, but if McMahon won the role, and he did, I jumped in on McMahon. I actually had some pretty good shares of McMahon this year. He had a rough start and uh, was kind of meandering along. Playing time was problematic because Colorado is stupid. And if you were really kind of, you know, April, he was a waiver wire pickup in a lot of leagues, McMahon was, because he was getting cut. 224, 316, 343 with two homers. He's on waiver wires for sure. Rebounds in May, four homers, 277 average, but then falls back off again in, in June, 244, one homer. So I really think that the second half, probably on a different team than than the one that drafted him, is who really panned out, uh, or who really benefited, I should say, from McMahon. But he winds up with 250, 24 homers, 83 ribbies, 70 runs, and five steals in six attempts. Not bad at all. Let's see what his second half was. Let's let's put that down into a single line here. Two four, only two forty four in the second half. That's weird. That no, batting average isn't really there, especially when you get to play in, in Coors Field. But seventeen homers, forty seven runs, and thirty three ribbies. Or excuse me, forty seven ribbies, thirty three runs in the second half. There only hit two seventy at home, and then a putrid two twenty six on the road. You know, if you're going to hit that poorly on the road, you got to hit like 290 plus at home to kind of sustain it. But McMahon, all in all, had a good season, was first base, second base, third base eligible in a lot of leagues. Let me see what he's going to go into next year with. Actually, he's going to have the second and third next year. So that's pretty cool. Second and third for McMahon. I'm buying back in. He's only going to be 25. I'm probably going to buy back in on Hampson, but we'll talk about him at uh, at a different position here. Uh, and then Reese Hoskins was 20th. That was a fail, man. That, that's just a bad season. And it's one of those things where I think Eno's been hitting on it a bit on his pod and in articles about too many fly balls. Like, it's great to get the ball in the air and, and try to maximize the power, but a 50% fly ball rate, particularly with a lot of infield fly balls, it's tough. And it was just kind of a pedestrian, ho-hum 29 homer, 85 ribby, 86 run season for Hoskins. 226 average, though. It just wasn't that great. And I remember writing something about him in late June, 
thinking that he could be some power on the rise and that he could have one of those big second halves. You know, he hits 25 homers in the second half and, and really helps people win leagues. No, it really didn't come there. And there were some folks who were definitely out in front on this saying, nah, man, it goes the other way. I'm, I'm running away from Hoskins. So when I was running in, they were running away. And I think that, uh, you know, they, they were they were proven correct there for sure. I definitely had that one wrong on Hoskins. Now, I did still rank him in my top 31st baseman for next year. And I don't think that's out of bounds. I mean, he finished top 30 this year. Why wouldn't he? I put 14th. I think when I reassess, he's going to go down a couple ticks. Uh, the comment I put is I still think he can hit 40 homers, but has to fall below comparables right now. And I, I agree with that still on Hoskins. And the depth of the position hurts him because he's pedestrian. He's going to lose that outfield eligibility too. Next one, don't you hate when you're in on a guy in draft season, you see how the breakout can happen, but you jump ship a little early and then you look at the final line and you're like, I had that right. Why didn't I just stick with it? It's because they're that late pick. And, you know, if they don't hit the ground running immediately, they become one of your first cuts. And that's just what happened with me and Renato Nunez. Um, in fact, I can look up the exact, the exact deal here. Not that anybody really cares, but let's do it just the same. Um, I want to see when I cut him in the main event because I drafted him. And I remember Justin and I talking about him. And I, you know, we were both kind of in saying, hey, there's there's some stuff to like here about uh, about Renato Nunez. Let me search Renato. And hang on. When did I cut him? All right. Oh, and I cut him for Christian Walker, which, you know, was fine. But I cut him on August 7th. At that point, he was hitting 238, 360, 381, had one homer, and I thought Walker was more of a real deal. Now, I will do the comparison of the two from that point forward. So from August or April 8th, did I say August again on the first time? Cut him April 7th. April, April, April. Now let's see what he and Walker did from that point on. From April 8th on. So I cut him on the 7th. That means 8th is when it would have kicked in that Monday. And let's see. Nunez from that point forward hit 244 with 30 homers, 85 ribbies, and 68 runs. So yeah, he wound up with 3190 for the season. Walker, for me, hit 258, 26 homers, 67 ribbies, 80 runs. So they basically flipped the runs and ribbies. Better batting average for Walker and four fewer homers. The bottom line is, if if given the opportunity to do it again, of course I wouldn't do it because I spent 194 bucks on Walker. And so I could have kept that money for basically the same production. So that sucks. But Reynaldo Nunez, man, he makes a living crushing lefties. That's where he really butters his bread. 270, 326, 510 with 13 of his homers against lefties. Uh, with it. So that's an 836 OPS. 18 homers against righties, though. And let me see something here real quick. If you pace his 
home run rate against lefties for the plate appearances that he had against righties, it would be 22. So only about four more homers. So he was really kind of keeping a similar pace. Now, the batting average against righties really struggled, just 229. But I take 244, 31, 90 uh, with 72 total runs from a pick that was crazy late for me. Um, let me see. When did I take? I don't need to look that up. It was one of the last three or four rounds. Point, plain and simple. I do know that for a fact. So I wish I'd have just stuck with him, man. A lot, a lot went wrong in my. It was literally the last round. Wow, thirtieth round. A lot went wrong in my uh, main event. This was not the. You know, if I just held on to him, things would have been much different. It's a nice little microcosm of of how things went sideways, though. Of how I regularly seem to be making just just the wrong move by a little bit. Because again, Walker wasn't bad, but you don't want to spend two hundred bucks of fab to basically break even, which is what I did. Um, Eric Hosmer, by the way, was eighteenth at first base. That shocked me. I do not like Eric Hosmer as a fantasy player. Um, I never really draft him. I find him to be remarkably bland. And yet he went 2299 with a 265 average this year. And that's pretty good. I mean, it's good enough to finish 18th. It's a pretty capable middle or middle. <laughs> it's a pretty capable corner, I should say. You know? I wonder how many of you, how many of you, tweet me, please, if you can remember, at Spore, S-P-O-R-E-R, tweet me if you want a league with Hosmer on it, and and give me some idea of what, you know, what else you had around there, but one of the things that he does deliver is a set it and forget it capability, you put him in at corner, and it's just there all year, now corner was pretty deep, because third base was remarkably deep and and first base added depth in season. So you might have missed out on some good stuff, but I don't think you were really hurt by this. 265, 22, 99, only 72 runs. That's part of San Diego. But just locking that in at corner and never having to mess with it or even utility, that's not bad. Hats off to Hosmer there. That's a, that's a pretty solid uh, fantasy season there, even though he was still pretty freaking bland as far as you know overall production goes he is uh 91 on the wrc plus after 95 last year it's just one of those things and we have it with different guys a lot of times it's speedsters where their fantasy value does not match their real life value but this is another one like real life that's pretty bleh for san diego especially for what they're paying him but there is some value to really being able to set it and forget it. And the dudes played a buck 57 or more in each of the last five seasons. And he had 131 and 14, but then 159, 152 the two years before that. So that dude is a workhorse, Eric Hosmer is. And there is definitely value to that, even if the production isn't necessarily there. Uh, but 2299, huh? An RBI short of a hundo. That is surprising to me. Let's move up this board a little bit. Eric, uh, not Eric Hosmer. I just talked about him. Jock Peterson got first base eligibility and was able to finish 17th at the position. I think at, at a certain point, he was more valuable as a corner 
than as an outfielder. Now, he had bouts where he was looking like one of the best hitters going, as he seemingly does every year, but it always comes back. And he, and he winds up kind of being who he is, which is a, is a really strong power guy who beasts on righties, and I could strike out if I threw left-handed, and I'm a right-hander. Like, I, I could throw with my offhand and, and probably get him out. That's how bad he is against lefties. And he doesn't even play. To, to that to that point, like the Dodgers don't even mess with it. They only gave him 50 plate appearances. But he's able to put up 36 homers, 73 ribbies, and 77 runs in just his verse righty plate, plate appearances, 464 for Jock Peterson. That's pretty damn good. And, you know, if you play in a daily league or even something like the NFBC where you can kind of, kind of maneuver it, you can extract those extra plate appearances when you know there's multiple lefties coming up. And you didn't lose anything. 50 plate appearances. Now, one of the things that I'd have to check, I say you didn't lose anything because you didn't lose anything against lefties, but there are times when he would come in and probably do something. Actually, hang on. I'm going to backtrack on that. No. No, not really. Um, 58 plate appearances as a sub, only two homers and a 216 average. However, however, I don't know how many games he started against. What about the games where he started against a lefty and got to face a righty reliever and did, you know, and you didn't put him in for that? But you probably lost a little bit. Bottom line is it didn't really undercut what you got from Jock Peterson. You got a nice season here. You were probably able to f- manufacture some extra plate appearances there by putting in a sub for those times where you had two, three right- lefties coming in a row. And all in all, pretty good. Pretty, pretty Pretty good. Edwin Encarnacion just keeps chugging along. I'm not going to deal dive too much in onto what he did. Uh, I will tell you that it was. Um, hang on, I only have his New York numbers here. It's uh, full season, 34, 34 and 86. It did snap a streak of four straight 100 plus RBI seasons. That's all about volume, though. He would have gotten there again if he had played more than 109 games. The next couple are breakouts, including one I already mentioned. Uh, Hunter Dozier and Christian Walker at 15 and 14, respectively. Dozier was somebody I did really like. This is one I felt good about. Um, If he got some playing time, I didn't know he was going to do this much, right? I'm always open to saying, listen, I liked somebody, but I liked them for this particular format. And I'm not going to say that I called, called it to this degree or anything like that. 26 homers. 84 ribbies, 75 runs, 279 average. And one of the things I thought he could maybe do was chip in some some sneaky speed, give you like that 7 to 10, because he does have some speed for first base, uh, for first third. He had 10 triples, but only two steals for Hunter Dozier. But all in all, it was an excellent season. Uh, he is just 27 years old too, so I think there is some, some staying power here. Uh, I think he can really club it and... Uh, I'm going to be in next year for Hunter Dozier as well. And then Walker, I mentioned, kind of gave you his numbers from the uh, from April 8th on. Tack on everything else that he did. And it was 29 homers, 73 ribbies, 86 runs, 259 average. He was another guy who kind of was known to beat up lefties. But if he could do anything against righties, he could have a breakout. Well, he actually flipped it. He was better against righties this year. 838 OPS, 789 against lefties maintained full-time playing time, really made it so that they didn't miss 
Paul Goldschmidt that much. Right? Let's let's side by side the pair here. Let me get Goldschmidt's numbers up. So again, uh, Walker, 259, 348, 476 with 2973. Eight, eight chip in steals, by the way. Goldie. 260, 346, 476. So he had an 821 OPS. He was actually four points lower than Walker. 34 homers, 97 ribbies, 97 runs. Better fantasy asset, but he finished 11th, or excuse me, 12th to Walker's 14th. And much, 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 much cheaper. And frankly, frankly, I would trade the five homers and even the runs and ribbies for those extra steals. Maybe not, for, maybe not the runs and ribbies. Maybe not. 97 on both is pretty nice compared to 86 and 73. So I, I, I backtrack on that. But eight steals for Walker, three for Goldie. Not a bad season for Goldie. Number 13 is my boy Matt Olson. What an awesome year from him, especially considering when he had the hamate surgery. Terror struck the fantasy community, and his price tumbled. In fact, let's quantify it. All right? Let's do average draft position from the 30th, or excuse me, March 1st through the 21st. And that's it through the Japanese series. He's going the 13th first baseman off the board at pick 129. Matt Olson was. Let's do from the 22nd on. And that's through the rest of the month. So he went from 129 down to, where are you, Maddie? Oh, down to 334. Holy crap. People were terrified. And this is the main event, 15 team, seven bench spots. And I understand why. Like, I get it. I'm not even trying to chastise and say you should have known he was going to be fine. Ham 8, we always worry about. I think... I think we're starting to get more evidence, though, that it's not an automatic power killer. I think we're really, this is just another notch. This isn't the only guy who's bounced back power-wise, and I'd have to do a deep dive, maybe something Jeff Zimmerman could do with his injury database. And, and we're seeing more and more. It can affect guys, but it's one of those things, almost like the home run derby, where there's no conclusive evidence that it does or doesn't. It's a case-by-case -case basis, meaning you shouldn't immediately run away from a guy who's going to have the hamate surgery, particularly when they're going to have it this early in the year and really only miss a month. Olsen was back on May 7th, but everyone, not only that, you were going to miss a month, but everyone thought the power was going to be sapped. It decidedly was not. From May 7th on, 268, 351, 548, 36 homers, 91 ribs, 72 runs, that's a 47 homer pace if he'd played all year. Matty O, baby. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I had all my shares before then, thankfully. I wish, I wish I'd have stuck with him and maybe even added more. But I had plenty of shares to the point where I was like not worried. Wait, did he not? Are you freaking kidding me? I'm about to tell y'all something that is going to be really gross. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm overrating it. Maybe I'm overrating it. But he was not drafted in my main event. How's that possible? Hang on. Is something wrong with my search? That's not real. Come on. 
No, because he wasn't picked up either. He had to have been drafted. Come on. Give me draft results. Pardon me while I figure this out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. He had to have been drafted. Give me a freaking break. But when I did control F Olsen, it didn't work. There he is. 361, though. I must have been selected on a different position. 360. Oh, I know what it was. Never mind. I know what it was. But 361 for Matt Olsen. 25th round pick. Now, how did the team that had him, how'd they do? Let's see. They finished third. I'm sure Matty O was a big part of that. I mentioned Paul Goldschmidt was 12th. Uh, I'm not going to go too crazy on a lot of the top 11 here because it's the names you expect. Matt Anthony Rizzo at 11, Max Muncie at 10. Muncie, I'm going to put a big check mark for me as far as I'm really happy with what he did. I thought he was really, I thought he was legit. I was buying back in, couldn't wait to stock up shares of him. He had 35 homers with 79 ribbies in 2018, 35 and 98 this year. So basically, you add playing time, and you got and you got added runs and ribbies. You gave away 12 points of batting average from 263 to 251. We'll take it for the added volume of runs and ribbies. We'll take it. So he finishes 10th. He had first, second, and third eligibility. Excellent. Excellent, excellent season. The only downside was really that uh, you lost him late. So head-to-head folks really felt the pinch. And, um, you know, even the second half for Roto, second half of September, not second half of the season, second half of September was tough. Uh, but love what he did. Yuli Gurriel. I don't know what I could have done to try to convince somebody if I'd somehow had the results in my hand before the season, I don't know what I would have had to do to tell somebody to convince them, hey, dude, I, I, got, I got the results for the season. Yuli Gurriel is ninth at first base coming for, at the end of the year. No, he's not, Paul. You're an idiot. No, dude, I swear it. He's ninth. It's going to be awesome. Draft him. Nope, not going to draft him. You're a moron. Okay, I am a moron, but... Be that as it may, I have these in. Okay, I'll stop that bit. Here's the thing. He was very reasonable to draft for one particular reason that I love to talk about. Late batting average. It's hard to find. And you felt like that was at least a lock. So far with Houston, um, coming into 2019, he had a 1274 plate appearances of a 291 average. So that's locked and loaded. In that same 1274 plate appearances, 34 homers. This year, 31. In less than half the plate appearances, he nearly doubled his career home run total. That's nuts, dude. And didn't hurt the batting average a lick. Hit 298. What a find. Guriel has to be on so many winning teams, right? You would think. Maybe. I, I don't know, you know? You, th- you throw that speculation out, you do the data, and then it's like, no, you know, it's not. It's not that. It's not like that for baseball, especially. Like, where that one guy. I think that happens more in basketball and in football with the particular running back or receiver. Maybe not so much in baseball, just because of the way we put our puzzle pieces together. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised to hear some of y'all's stories about how, yeah, I had Gurriel. I did draft him. I liked him for batting average. And instead, I got 31 yaks out of him with the batting average. 
104 ribbies, 85 runs, five chip-in steals, by the way, same as he did last year. You like that? Hey, that's not a whole lot, but when you get the chip-ins at, at catcher and first and and from like your, your uh, big rock power guy at third or the outfield, that's great. You love it. Excellent season. So we 36 next year. And this is our actual first check. We haven't really been checking anybody where they're going for next year. 147 in the two early mocks. I think that's a perfectly fair price. Now, the range is pretty wide from 111 to 183. So I think he'll creep closer and closer to that high end. We'll see, though. 36, fantasy baseball's ageism knows no bounds, even with a breakout like this. I think it'll be I think it'll be easy to get Guriel at, at what you believe is a fair price. And because the batting average should still be there even if let's say the ball changes and the power goes away, I'm still going to get the batting average. So I'm still going to take him. I'm still really interested in Yuli Guriel even at 36. I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Number eight was Josh Bell. We know the breakout that he had. He was the talk of the league for the first half. Fell on some hard times and then rebounded. Let me see how he actually closed. So just to give you the trajectory, come out like a house on fire in April, 9.55 OPS. Amps it up the next month, 12.38 in in May. Uh, Tempers tempers it out a little bit in June and July, 7.64, 7.69. Uh, but still had nine homers and 36 ribbies combined in those two months, so that still plays for sure. Amps back up in August with eight homers and a 927 OPS, and then meanders to the finish line because he only played 11 games, so two homers and an 803. So a weird up and down season. You head-to-head folks probably were pulling your hair out with him, but he won you some games in April and May without a doubt and August to maybe get you in the playoffs, but then when you needed him in the playoffs, he wasn't really there for you, which is tough. Uh, His draft stock has really skyrocketed. He's the 65th pick overall. I get it. I think I mentioned in a recent pod, though, that I'm... I just don't know if I'm going to be paying it, though. Not because he's not worth it, but because of other other players I like. The aforementioned Matty O goes 35 picks later. And I'm definitely taking him. My boy Max Muncy, I'm sticking with him. He's picked 79. Hunter Dozier, 129. Among others. So, yeah, I'm just... It's it's not anti-Bell. It's pro-other guys right now. Um. So, yeah, let's get into the top seven here. This is another a little bit of a surprise. Just because he quietly did it. Jose Abreu at seven. Wait till I read you some of these numbers again. If you if you didn't have him and you're not familiar, do a little do a little guess in your head of what he did this year. I'll tell you that he had 693 plate appearances, and I'll tell you that he went 22 and 78 last year. You got your numbers? How about 33 123? He led the AL in ribbies and set and easily set a career high. Now you're thinking, how on a on a dog shit White Sox team? Well, the thing of it is, 
Some of the folks in front of him were decidedly not poor. They were quite good. And so, you know, you have you have Tim Anderson getting on base at a fantastic 36% clip. Uh, let me see. So we have Abreu batting third. And who was batting two? Was Moncada batting two? So was it was it Anderson Moncada? Oh wait. Lurie Garcia was more or less the leadoff guy, and then Anderson two. There was a lot of Moncada at two when Anderson was hurt, I believe. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking over there there. Okay, so what did Lurie Garcia do OBP wise? Oh, 378. So he's getting on base at a 38% clip. That's why he has 93 runs. So there you go. You got Lurie Garcia, Tim Anderson, and then even Moncada sliding in there at times in one of the top two spots. And he had a 367 OBP. So you had three really strong OBP guys regularly fitting in those one, two spots, giving Abreu ample opportunity to cash in. And he did not blow his chances. Fantastic year. Brilliant down the stretch. 11, 11, uh, I almost said rabies and I almost said runs. 11 homers, 49 runs batted in, and 37 runs from August 1st on. Excellent, excellent stuff from Jose Abreu. Now, he's a free agent. I don't know if it's a bad idea for them to bring him back. Let him keep him as that, that clubhouse staple. He's going to be 33. It'll be his age 33 season. He is already 33, I think. Oh, no. He'll turn 33 in January. Okay. So it'll be his age 33 season. And, you know, I think they're close-ish enough to where you re-sign him and let him continue to lead, uh, you know, lead the charge there in the middle with Anderson, Moncada, Jimenez. Hell, Lurie Garcia. If he can do that again. He's perfectly capable, even if you don't lead him off. If you go Anderson, Moncada, Abreu, Jimenez, and then you got Garcia down in the like, lower level. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I messed up. I messed up. It doesn't invalidate everything, but I am an idiot. I am a colossal idiot. I got to give Lurie Garcia mad credit. He scored 93 runs with a 310 OBP. I was looking at his slug. <laughs> I used his slugging as an OBP because it's 378. Of course, you would think that that's more of an OBP than a slug. But yeah, so that actually makes Abreu more impressive because that's like, that's a dead spot leading off. But then Tim Anderson definitely parked on base regularly in front of Abreu. Abreu only batted third, so it was just one of those two all the time. Great year from him, though. We'll see what he wants as far as free agency. Uh, I'm going to be intrigued wherever he signs. The market has cooled a bit on him. He's at 106. I mean, not not really cool. I, I think it's just the depth. I think it's just the depth of the position. But he had this big season. And he went down from 89 ADP last year for Jose Abreu to the 106 so far this year. So again, I don't think it's a cooling factor though. I think it's other guys have emerged. And he just kind of gets placed down there. Like LeMahieu coming in to the first base ranks. Muncie 
solidifying himself as legit. Olsen going off. Like, those three guys, I think, are, are, are why Abreu fall. But that makes him a great buy. That makes him a great buy, in my opinion. I'm, I'm in on Abreu. Uh, Carlos Santana was sixth. He was fantastic this year. What what an amazing season at age 33 to kind of have a career year. Not kind of. I mean, it was. It was awesome. Because one of the things is, I, I've been a Carlos Santana guy for, for forever. I just love, love switch hitter, big time OBP. Whenever I first started playing OBP leagues, you know, rostering him was was a godsend he's one of those guys that gets the biggest jump from average to obp leagues and you just kept thinking dude what if he ever hit for average but at 33 you're like eh, that ship's probably sailed he did have a 132 wrc plus in 2013 that was standing as his career year drops a 135 this year going 281 397 515 with a career high 34 homers a career high 93 ribbies in a career high 110 runs. I could have just said all three numbers and then said those are all career highs. I chose the more difficult route. Dead equal strikeout to walk ratio at 16% apiece with a 108 of each. That's amazing. The Babbitt jumped up to 293. He's a career 268, fueling that 281 average. He's never really struck out. He walks like crazy. You've always kind of wondered why doesn't he have a good batting average ever? And he finally spiked a big one at age 33 and had a brilliant season. Also threw in four steals. Again, those chip-ins. You love them. Awesome year. But he's going to be 34 next year. So the market's letting you get him at pick 119 on average. And that's actually heavily influenced by pick 49 in one of the two early mocks. Other than that, he was 108. 129, 132, 138, 155. I think for an age 34 Santana, the market is going to let you have him a bit. But even if he goes back down to his three-year average coming into this season, so from 16 to 18, he hit 249 with an average of 27, 84, and 87. I would take that. I don't think that that's killing me. If, if that's quote-unquote all I get. Now, this is a jump. He was picked 194 on average in the main event coming into this year. So he is jumping up. But if I can get him around that 130, I'll take it. Because I don't know that the average is necessarily a, a stone-cold fluke for Carlos Santana. I think he could be more of, of a... 275 so that would still be a drop from this year's 281 but it'd be better than the career 250 bottom line i like santana i'm open to taking him at his current price and uh, we'll see where he lands as as drafts go deeper or as we get deeper into draft season i should say trey mancini speaking of of babip um he he is at the mercy of his I mean, you can literally just clock his seasons to his Babbitt. 2017, 352 Babbitt, great season. 293 average, 2478. Last year, 285 Babbitt, 242 average, 2458. Homers stay the same, RBIs go down, average tanks. This year, 326 Babbitt, 291 average, 35 homers, 97 ribs. 
excellent year for Mancini. I do wonder what causes such a fluctuation in his BABIP, though, because he's he's a ground ball guy. Ground ball guys generally hold a higher BABIP. Sometimes things just don't break your way, though. 285 isn't even like egregiously bad, but it is a far cry from the 352 that he had the year before for Trey. I think he's going to maintain first base outfield, but let me check that. Yes, he will maintain first base outfield eligibility, so that's nice. He'll be 28, still be on a terrible team. Pick 136 on average. Perfectly fair price. I think you can I think you can eat, you know, if he drops back down an average to like 250. But you're getting a major discount if he if he can hit 290 again. So I like I like Mancini. DJ LeMayhew, I'm actually gonna save him for second base. I'll dive more into him there. Plus, we've talked a about a lot about him this year. He had an excellent year, but I'll, I'll dive more. He was the fourth best first baseman. I still think folks, even if they kind of believe in him, they're going to want to draft him more as a second, third baseman type. And he does have eligibility at all three next year, which is awesome. But I think people want that rock power guy at first. So I don't. I just don't think LeMahieu, even with the nice spike to 26 homers, we'll talk more about him at second base. Pete Alonzo, you absolute monster. I saw Pete Alonso at the Arizona Fall League. I saw him turn 103 around from Nate Pearson with ease. Flicked it out to right center field. Absolutely smoked it. We're, we're making jokes about forearm porn with him. I saw it. It was there. Right in front of my fucking face. And yet I still treated him as more of a... More of a a basic power guy. And what I mean by that is like kind kind of like a Chris Davis to be honest. Chris with the K, even though Chris Davis himself has been excellent. I I was thinking more of like early career Chris Davis. Now, Davis jumped from 27 to 42 homers, but I was thinking kind of split the difference there because that year that he hit 27, it was only in 121 games, so it would have been 30-something. I was thinking that he could, that Pete Alonso could hit 30-something homers, even without knowing that the ball was, was juiced up. But I thought it was going to be like 30-something with like a 235, 245 average. So I thought he was basic. You know who's basic? I'm basic. I go out to fall league. I see these guys, and I still don't. I still don't hit on them. I get the advantage, and I'm like, nah. Let me use my assessment and say that he's just by a thick. Now, in fairness, it's not like the market was crazy on him and, and overdrafting. He went 205 on average. Uh, if anything, though, that that makes me look worse. Because he wasn't even overpriced. You couldn't snag a share somewhere. You saw it live and in person. It's one. It's a one at bat sample, but it's pretty impressive, right? Signature significance. I believe that's something that Bill James's coined. Where a small sample, if if great enough, can can be worth as much or even more than than a lengthy sample. 
I think I think it, that's been used more in like um, in the vein of like a fifteen strikeout game. You can't really fake a fifteen strikeout game. But yeah, I missed on him, dude. Fifty three homers, one hundred and twenty ribbies, one hundred and three runs for Pete Alonso with a two sixty average. The market's in forty four pick on average, ranging as high as thirty four. Pete, polar bear, love him, dude. I'm in. Fun to root for. Always got a smile on his face. Seems like a great dude. Led baseball in homers. Sets a new rookie record. Hell of a season, man. He'll be 25 next year. He's like a fully formed guy, too, right? There's there, the the judge comps are there for a reason. And I don't think that they're like dead equals, but like you can see why those comps are there. So I don't know, man. Great job by Pete Alonzo. Sorry, I was just, I literally zoned out staring at his numbers. That's how nice they were. All right, and then the last two guys here, we don't need to go too detailed because we know we know who they are. They are who we thought they were. Freddie Freeman at two, Cody Bellinger at one. Excellent seasons by both. Freddie Freeman is still chronically underrated. Just in just in terms of his excellence, not even in the fantasy community. He's the 11th pick off the board. Like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying in terms of like... It's like we passively acknowledge how great he is. So maybe underrated isn't the right term, but he doesn't get hyped enough. He's so good. He's so freaking good and so freaking steady. And again, the market doesn't give you any major discount on him. But it's just like, why don't people do more backflips about him? And again, I talk about the chip in speed, six, eight. 10 and 6 the last four years. That's not a make. Again, I don't want to over. I don't want you guys to think I'm overstating this. I'm just. It's a little tack on. It's a fun little tack on. The 8, by the way, came in 117 games. He might have gotten 12 13 that year. Career high 38 homers, 121 ribbies, and 113 runs. Average dipped. Broke a streak of three straight years over 300, but 295. No one's crying about that from Freef. Freef God's a beast, man. Absolute beast. Now, Bellinger. I'm looking at this now, and I'm wondering the hell everyone's talking about. I'm hearing a trajectory of his season and and the late late fall off and all that the hell are y'all talking about okay yeah his, op- his ops went down every month but when you start at 1397 you have nowhere to go but down but then when you go to 998 you still don't have much wor- many places to go but down 967 952 918 891 none of those are bad just because it makes a neat little pattern where it goes down every month so I mean, he hit 431 in April. No shit he was going to come down from that. And that fueled a 360, 336 for the first half. Like, duh, man. Did you really believe that that was his true talent now? Come on. 
some of this is like, well, you, you, you had a misguided expectation at a certain point. You know, once he fell below 400, which actually happened on May 8th. So from May 8th through July 7th, those, those last two months going into the break, he hit 291. Perfectly capable. You know, nothing wrong with that. I think that's like the kind of sample that you that you judge him off of. Now, granted, his second half was still 263. It was still almost 30 points lower than that. But I, I, I feel a little... I feel like I feel like it's a little unfair judging his 336 average and holding that up as like, well, look at the fall off from there. Okay, dude. Or dudette. Whichever one of you is saying this silly shit. It doesn't really make sense to hold him to that standard on any level whatsoever. So yeah, you know, he came down in the second half. He also had a 267 Babbitt. But in the second half, he also had 17 homers, 40, 44 ribbies, 51 runs. Full season pace for that? 41, 105, 122. Brilliant. Despite hitting 263. He also stole seven bases in seven tries. That's 17 full season pace. So add it all up. Here's what we got. 305, 406, 629. 47 homers, 115 ribs, 121 runs, 15 stolen bases from Cody Bellinger. Absolutely brilliant. Guess what? He'll be 24 next year. Dude's insane. Okay, Paul, you're talking all this big game. Why did you rank him second and free first? Mainly because of the batting average. The comment, I think, makes that clear. This was his first season over 270. He was electric, playing as literally the best player in baseball for a month and a half. Literally, even better than Trout, and Trout was playing brilliantly. But when you add it all up, every facet of the game, Bellinger was doing perfectly. He was the best player in baseball. And then he came back to being an elite player. But I don't think that this is a new batting average level, the 305. Maybe he hits more of a 280. But his career is 278 now. So I'm bringing that back to the pack a little bit. Whereas Freeman, one of the most consistent superstars in the game. So I did go Freeman over Bellinger. Drafts are going Bellinger over Freeman. I did just get done hyping Bellinger and, and loving on him. But I'm also not taking him fourth. Because I think you're paying for this year. And there's going to be some pullback. I would pay for Freeman at four before I would Bellinger. I don't have to. I'm just saying I would. I would prefer Bellinger closer to 10, which means I'm never going to get him. And I know between 4 and 10, you're like, well, what's the difference? Again, it's like the, the NFL draft pick chart where those early picks, each pick has a big difference in between it. And then it starts to congeal a bit as we get deeper into rounds. Just between 4 and 10 is a pretty big deal. Of course, with your with your draft slotting, you, you might not get 10. And so if you if you have four and you want Bellinger and you take him there, I don't think that's egregious. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it. I think right now at four, I'm taking bets. 
And then who else am I taking over Bellinger? Lindor. And then maybe some pitchers. And maybe even story to get to get Bellinger to 10. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm denigrating Bellinger at all. He's amazing. And if you're taking him that high because you believe in him and you think that this this can be a new batting average level, because again, he is going to be 24 next year. So if you believe that there were some changes here that he made that really solidify him as a better batting average guy, okay. I don't quite agree there. Not because he fell off from the 400 clip that he was on. But if you just look at his last four months, 262. But if you just take those last 100 games, when he hit 27 homers, 63 ribbies, 71 runs, 8 steals, it paces to 44, 103, 116, 13, even with the 262. So again, I'm not hating at all. Just give me the batting average love of a Freeman in exchange for those few extra stolen bases. That's basically the calculus I'm doing here. Meanwhile, Betts, I think his batting average will be fine. He went from 346 to 295, but it's still 295. But yeah, excellent year from Bellinger. Really interesting year at first base, man. And just to give you a uh, top 20 of how they're going uh, in these two early mocks, just the top 20 first base qualified folks. Now, hang on. I will say this. We use fan tracks, and these were technically 2019 drafts. So there may be some first base eligible people who will not be first base eligible going forward. And so correct me if, the, if that is the case. Um, but I'm just going to read these 1 to 20. Bellinger, 1, 2, Freeman, 3, Alonzo, 4, Rizzo, 5, Bell, 6, Goldschmidt, 7, Hoskins, too high, 8, Muncy, 9, LeMahieu, 10, Olsen, love it, 11, Abreu, 12, Santana, 13, Dozier, 14, Mancini, 15, Encarnacion, 16, Gurriel, 17, Voigt, 18, Peterson, uh, 19 is actually Brendan McKay because he's listed as a first baseman, but no. So 19, I'm going to say, is McMahon, and then 20 is Daniel Murphy. And then, uh, actually, I'll do 25. 22, uh, or 21, Carpenter. 20, sorry, because I'm off kilter because I'm taking out K, I'm, I'm messed up. So 21, Carpenter. 22, Lowe, Nate Lowe. Uh, 23, Hosmer. 24, Danny Santana. And 25, Christian Walker. So that's what first base looks like next year so far. And we're going to get some more draft data here in two weeks when I go out to Arizona. And uh, I'm really eager to see how that how that breaks down. But yeah, that's first. Uh, that's catcher in first base. I'm going to do a few more of these. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Just kind of a post-mortem on each position. Let me know what you think. If there's something you want me to add, let me know too. I think I'm going to try to do... Yeah, we'll go second short then third outfield then starting pitcher relief pitcher so those will be my next three solos as well but i appreciate y'all listening obviously the schedule will lighten up a little bit as far as both the pod and my writing for october really but then we amp it right back up in november so don't uh don't leave the site you should be checking we should have a few things every day keep keep the juices flowing 
If you're playing in a postseason league, I think I'm going to play the uh, NFBC one. So I'll have some in, uh, information on that. I'll write up something, whether it's just some sleeper picks or something like that for that. But uh, thank you all for listening. Appreciate you all on a great season. You guys are so nice to send the messages when you won titles, saying thanks to you know me and the others in the industry that helped you. I, I love that. That makes me feel really good. Um, because anything I can do to help you, I really do appreciate. And I, and I love, you know, even when we are, you know, you ask for an opinion and I give this and then you want to banter back and say, well, I was thinking maybe this and we kind of kind of play it out. That's always fun. But uh, yeah, I hope I helped you. I really do. And let's, uh, let's hunker down for an off season here. Still got a lot to do and it'll be great. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>